I was very young when Obama was elected 44th president of the United States of America in 2008. I was unaware of the controversy surrounding him because, again, I was eight and not particularly invested in American politics. What I see now as an adult looking back is a campaign and a presidency founded on a standard that is so insultingly low and yet at the same time was met with such hatred due to an underlying white fragility that spanned the entire nation. There are moments that I've found spoken by other politicians insinuating that he was only elected because he fit the role of a, quote, digestible black man. By digestible, these politicians meant one that is light-skinned, had a good upbringing, and one that doesn't speak in any type of, you know, dialect. One moment many people are familiar with was in 2007 from none other than Joe Biden himself, who at the time was actually about to be announcing his presidential campaign. He told the New York Observer of his then-rival but soon-to-be companion Obama, quote, I mean, you got the first mainstream African-American who was articulate and bright and clean and a nice-looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook, man. Now, we know Biden has a clear history and present-day issue of putting his foot in his mouth, but something about this comment still strikes people today. It seemed as though, sure, it could have been a gaffe, but it also had a deeper, more unsettling connotation. To put it extremely bluntly, Biden was inferring, whether knowingly or unknowingly, that it was weird to have a friendly-looking and clean black man, that it's a feat in itself for a black man to not be, you know, frightening or a criminal, that it was a feat in and of itself for Obama to be presentable, because obviously so many ordinary black men must not be. There were moments like this that plagued Obama's entire political career. A less well-known, but in my opinion, just as horrible statement, was made by former Nevada Senator Harry Reid when he said that he, quote, believed that the country was ready to embrace a black presidential candidate, especially one such as Obama, a light-skinned African-American with no Negro dialect, unless he wanted to have one. Obama, again, was the digestible black man that they thought America needed. The standard was so low that they all thought all he needed to do was be clean or speak without dialect. No matter how intelligent or qualified Obama was and is, they held him to such a low standard due to his race. They didn't even focus on the intelligence or the policies, but instead if he was just black enough to be considered progressive for the Democratic Party, but not too black to disenfranchise the Republican Party. Now, in Obama's speech about race that he delivered in 2008, and that we heard in Obama's speech about race 12 years later, he said himself that, quote, at various stages in the campaign, some commenters have deemed me either too black or not black enough. There was no winning from him on either side of the aisle. He was either too articulate or wanted to sound like a white guy, or he was just black. This box Obama was forced in can be attributed to many things, but one of the most obvious is the fact that the white population of the country had never expected to be threatened, and threatened I say in quotations. By threatened, I mean a level of superiority many white people are taught that they have from birth was pretty much taken from them as soon as he had entered the Oval Office. This premise of such fragility within the white, and especially male community, that the mere idea of a black man seated in the highest office in the world not only offended them, but made them feel a clear and frightening level of insecurity. We can see this come to play when we take a look at the short story, Where Is the Voice Coming From, by Eudora Weldy, in which civil rights activist Medgar Evers gets murdered outside his home by a jealous, 
and much less better off in the world, white man. The murderer is flabbergasted and offended by the mere possibility that this black man is doing better in life than he is, and can't handle it so much so that it actually drives him to murder in cold blood. We read, quote, Now I'm alive, and you ain't. We ain't never now. Never going to be equals. And you know why? One of us is dead. That's what he's thinking during this murder. All he cares about is the fact that this black man can no longer be at a higher ranking in life than him. I bring this story up because during the Obama era, and especially during his election cycles, there was a clear uprising of this white insecurity. We saw it with the blind hatred and disgust that had nothing to do with his policies. I myself personally have witnessed family members discuss their disliking of Obama, yet never once in the discussion mention a policy or a political affiliation. Former President Jimmy Carter even said, I think an overwhelming portion of the intensely demonstrated animosity towards President Barack Obama is based on the fact that he is a black man. There was the same kind of animosity and hatred felt towards Obama as there was within this white man that murdered Medgar Evans. Both come from a place of superiority and a place of deep-rooted insecurity. They have to be the superior race and gender, or they do not know who they are. Obama was a direct attack on this. He was an attack on the notion of white supremacy, and they did not, and still to an extent do not, know how to handle it. All in all, I think we can thank the ridicule and controversy, and again, not all of it, but over Obama's eight-year presidency, due to both an insultingly low bar set for him due to his race, as well as the desperate need for white Americans to feel both in power and unchallenged.